Welcome to Unspoken, the podcast that highlights experiences that are all too common but very rarely discussed. I am Dr. Cloda Campbell, the wellness psychologist, and I feel very passionately about speaking the unspoken to remove the taboo and shame that so often surrounds our experiences and internal worlds. For each episode of Unspoken, I am joined by someone who would like to uncover their unspoken with us in order to help themselves, but also in order to help others. I really hope that you enjoy today's episode and that you take something from it. Today's podcast is very proudly sponsored by my absolute favourite Irish skincare brand, Ella and Joe Cosmetics. With formulas that are powered by plants and backed by science, Ella and Joe are dedicated to creating high quality, luxurious skincare products that actually deliver results and that create magic moments in your day. Whether your skin is dry, dull, or just in need of a pick-me-up, the Ella and Joe range will put the joy back into your skincare routine. Find your skin confidence again by shopping Ella and Joe's beautiful products on ellaandjoe.ie using discount code UNSPOKEN for 15% off. Today I'm joined by Maeve Madden, who has very bravely agreed to share her Unspoken with us. Maeve speaks to me about losing her much-loved daddy just days after her wedding. Today's conversation is for anyone who has ever lost somebody special in their lives. You will laugh and cry alongside us, but you will leave feeling so much love in your heart. Maeve shares herself in such a raw and vulnerable and authentic way. She blew me away and she will blow you away too. Maeve, welcome to Unspoken. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm really delighted to have you. I know that probably everyone listening will be really familiar with you. We all love you. You share so much of your life with us. Mm-hmm. What are you here to talk about today? What's your Unspoken? So I decided that I would talk about the death of my father, which was 16 months ago. Mm, so recent. Mm-hmm. And still like super raw. I feel like we're just going to be crying from the start. <laughs> it's really important um, for me to like open up and to share the story. Um, because like we had just said, you know, it's something that we all go through. Mm. And so I think it's, it'll be really important. Tell us what life was like growing up with him as your daddy. Um, Dad was like super, he was always super busy. So he was like all constantly working, Um, but he was like a very jolly, very kind man. Like all my friends were like, oh, he's like Santa. Like he had always like a big smile on his face. And I feel like, you know, especially like in his eulogy and stuff that when whenever he died and passed, like so many people came up to us to thank us for like all the charitable work he did and how he helped so many people, especially like in my hometown. And, um, you know, and he was a very like inspiring person, but also like super humble, super quiet, like, you know, just sat back, let mom take charge. And as, and she loved that. Um, and he was, he was just like a total kind of like workaholic and he just like worked for his family and, um, yeah. And he just like, that was what he loved to do. Like even the day that he passed, um, I remember on the house and he was like on the phone, like working, like doing stuff. And we were like, you know, well, obviously we didn't know it was going to happen, but we we're like, oh, you should be resting. He's like, no, no, I have to get stuff done. I have to get stuff done. He's like working away. And like hours later, you know, he, he passed. Um, but that was daddy. Daddy just, and the one thing he hated, he hated Sundays and I hate Sundays. And I feel like I hate Sundays for the same reason that he, like, it's like, we're supposed to switch off and stuff, but you're kind of like itching to keep going and you want to do stuff, but you're like, you know, no, I, I should be relaxing. And then like Sunday afternoon, he'd be like back in the books, like back working again. So no, he was, he was an amazing father, like truly. And, and so lovable and loved by everybody. I think when you speak about him, I always really feel how special your relationship with him was. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with him as you're growing up. So he 
I feel like when once I was like more once I was older um you know we had a much like I was always like very much a daddy's girl um and so when we did spend time with him which was mainly like on the weekends um just because he was so he was a building contractor just so they kind of understand why he wasn't there so he literally would go to work uh like early early morning came back late at night and then of course in like those days like we're so old (laughs) in those days so I remember he used to like sit on the stairs and be like just on the phone with his diary like you know because you didn't have mobile phones or a computer so like work was really different um but one thing was that every morning um, he would wake us up to, for us to get ready for school, but like r- really early, which wasn't really early. Like when I think about it now, it's like <laughs> at seven or like quarter past seven. And we'd go downstairs with him. And now in my mind, my mom always says that we paint a Disney picture of daddy. <laughs> She's raging. <laughs> um, but I think that everybody probably does paint a beautiful picture of their like, you know, the child or their, their family or what you kind of, you always remember the, probably the happy things. Um, so in my mind, we went downstairs and dad would make us breakfast, um, which I really think he did. Now it was like in those <laughs> days, again, just because people would be like, why was she eating Frosties or like starch or like Cocoa Pops? But that was normal in the 80s. You have to remember I'm almost 40. My six-year-old so, loves Cocoa Pops. Okay, so it's still going. <laughs> it's still a trend. On a Sunday morning. <laughs> there we go. This was every morning before school. So no wonder we were wired. Anyway, so dad would like get the cereal, put on the cartoons. It would be like, do you remember that Penelope pit stop? And then we'd say bye and he would go to work. And I remember even like if we missed that, it would be like devastation. You know, if he had to go earlier, I remember calling him from the house phone to then when he got a mobile. So it must have been like early 90s. Um, and we'd be like, come back, say bye. <laughs> mom was like, of course, when we said bye, bye to mom, we were like, bye, you know, but that's because <laughs> she was there all the time. So those like moments in the morning with daddy were always like really important. And then on a Saturday, he was supposed to kind of look after us, but he'd go to work and drop us at Granny's. But he probably only dropped us for like a few hours and then he'd pick us up. And then on a Sunday, he... uh, So then him and mom had date night every Saturday night, whether they killed each other or they were like completely in love. It didn't matter. They were like, always had date night. And um, then on Sunday, he would go to mass, but he didn't come with us. But I think probably was because he would have looked after the babies. So I'm one of five. So I'm guessing that when we went to mass, he probably looked after, you know, the youngest uh, kids. But he always brought back the newspaper and in the newspaper was sweets. And that was like our Sunday treat. And then on Sundays, we'd always like go for a drive or do something and, you know, go and get ice cream and stuff. There's a lot of sugar going on. (laughs) And actually, daddy had the sweetest tooth. Like he always had sweets or chewing gum and if there was sweets in the house I mean if you rustled a paper he would literally like come right in he'd be like who's got sweets (laughs) so that was kind of like childhood but dad was never involved in any of the disciplining or anything like that you know mom did that and of course mom would be like now she's like that was your dad who told me to say that but of course I'd be like (laughs) oh I can't believe mom's being so mean and he'd be like oh come here pet and give me a hug but like he had told mom to say that but he never wanted to be the bad guy so that's probably why we have this like lovely you know because he was always good and he was all and always so loving and like anything we wanted it was no problem like you know which was which was so gorgeous so when you got a bit older than the cocoa pops and the sweets in the Sunday paper <laughs> what was your relationship like you know in your late teens and your 20s um so i suppose i went to university and dad was like you know he was always very much oh you need to study you need to study and i dad didn't go to university he went to london when he was like 15 years old which is crazy, um, and did a trade and stuff like that. So he was he was always very much like you have to, you know you have to study, um, and he. So I went to university and then I dropped out of the course that I was doing. I didn't like it, so he's like you you need to do teaching, you need to do teaching. And of course, then I was 
I suppose this is like early 2000s and most girls kind of did go into like teaching. You know, it was like a, a thing that, you know, it was like, oh yeah, well, I'll do that. And my sister had just done teaching. So I did the teaching and then I didn't enjoy that. And I finished that though, graduated. So there we go. And um, then he was kind of like, okay, maybe take like a gap year and see kind of what you want to do. And of course I was just kind of gallivanting all over the place. (laughs) Remember, (laughs) I was snuck to America, (laughs) to Miami, to the winter music conference. (laughs) And on the way back, and I hadn't told him, and on the way back, I remember the plane like had like a emergency landing in Toronto. And like, this is back in the day when it was like, I keep saying back in the day, but of course I'm like 19 years old or 20. And, uh, I obviously had to call him. So I had like no money. And I was was like, what what are you doing? Where are you calling me from? And I was like, daddy, I'm in Toronto. What the fuck? So uh, mental. So that boyfriend that I went to see in Winter Music Conference was out the window. Um, I kind of didn't really do anything. I was just, which I'll be honest about it. I didn't really do anything. Like they were just kind of like, I wouldn't say, I probably had like odd jobs here and there and I was just having a great time. You know what? I was living life. I was just living life. And dad was kind of fine with that. I'd be like, I'm going here and I'm going on holiday here and I'm doing this. And I was doing like these odd jobs. And I suppose like maybe kind of like in his head, I was kind of like a wheeler dealer. You know, I'd do like (laughs) a job for a few months here and then I'd do this and I'd be doing that. And, you know, I was kind of always getting like odd jobs here and there. Like he literally would say five words and that was it, you know? So where he would be like, no, you need to focus and you need to get yourself a job. And that's kind of when I started doing um, more like commercial modeling and stuff like that. And I suppose then, you know, we then went into where I met Andrew and um, who's my now husband and Andrew and I had been working together. And of course, dad wasn't too happy about that. He's like, you need to keep your head screwed on (laughs) again. I'm with the voice. (laughs) He's like, you need to keep your head screwed on, you know, like you need to really focus. And um, it's so funny. One of the loveliest things ever was, um, I know I'm jumping around for the conversation, but things, memories are just coming to my mind was when I started Instagram. So this is going back like 2014, say. So I started Instagram and um, I remember I hit 10,000 followers and I was like, oh my God, I've hit 10,000 followers. And he was like, I was like, this is like amazing. I couldn't care about followers now. But then it was like a big deal because this was all new. Like, you know, social media was new, growing a social media. This was all very exciting. And I remember he was like, wait till you hit 100. And I was just like, oh, that will never happen. And then when I went, when I hit 100, he was like, oh, there'll be a million next. <laughs> and of course, I'm nowhere near that. But like that, he was always kind of like, he wouldn't say like, he would be like, well done. But he would like strive for more. And he'd be like, you can do more. Like you can always do better. And um, so anyway, fast forward in a relationship with Andrew. And he was a bit cautious, but when he met Andrew, he really liked Andrew and pfft, I don't know why I'm getting emotional. It's those, this part isn't even sad. <laughs> um, Mom very much was like, she saw a lot of dad in Andrew. <laughs> that makes me really emotional. Uh. What makes you emotional about that? I think also, I think like as a, as a woman, when you're growing up and you're kind of, you know, I, I know I make it sound like I wasn't very career focused, but I was like, you know, I, I was kind of, and I, everything that I'm kind of like doing in my career, I always want to be the best at it and to be successful. Like my dad was, it was super successful. So I'm focusing on my career and I suppose I'm getting older and older. And I think that maybe... You know, I'm 33, 34 at this stage. My mom's like, of course, typical Irish mom. And I don't believe this for 
for anyone who is single. But of course, she's like, you're not even on the shelf. Like you're in the, you're not even in the attic anymore, you know, because she's like, I'm ancient and I haven't met anyone. And in my head, I was like, I've been single for since the American. So I've been single for three years, maybe two and a half, three years. Like I'd gone on like some dates, but like nothing that was ever going anywhere that I knew even was ever going anywhere. And so I think that when I met Andrew, even though we knew each other for a year before we got together, that, um, you know, that that makes me emotional because maybe I thought I wasn't going to meet someone or meet someone like that. Mm. And breathe, you know? Yeah. Oh, I need some water. <laughs> that wasn't the part that was supposed to make me upset. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, why is that making me upset? But I think it's really important because I feel like a lot of women, you know, who are in their 30s probably feel like, oh my God, am I ever going to meet someone? And it's like, I feel like the right person will come along. I I do tell a lot of girls who follow me who ask me that because they know I met someone like apparently later. I mean, for me, later would be like if I was 60 and single. Like, I met someone later. I don't think your 30s or even your 40s is like later. But, you know, with society the way it is, um, there there is a lot of pressure, you know, for women to meet someone. But I think that the right person comes along mm. at the right time. Absolutely. And also, I just wouldn't settle. Just a little figure. Oh, and settle for someone who I'm very like. I'd rather be by myself, yeah, than not be. Then settle for something that isn't magical, you know. When I hear you talk about him, you say he was a man of few words, but actually, I can really hear how huge an influence he had over your life and Mm -hmm. how much he has shaped you into the person that you are. No, absolutely, and I feel like probably many Irish or many daddies, you know, they, they don't say much. I feel like there's this very special bond as well between a, a daughter and her daddy. And, um, yeah, absolutely. Like even when I started Queens don't quit, um, so that was during lockdown and he got sick sometime. I don't remember the exact date that he got sick but I remember that he was sick when we were in lockdown and I feel like in the first lockdown that because he did his treatments all throughout lockdown um but he was so excited that I had and and that was like we'd always spoken about business and kind of like what I was doing and he would you know he kind of always like told you like how to do taxes and things you know like we'd be like the accountant is this and you have to do that and it was like and it used to drive me crazy because I like my dad don't like spending money unless it's on shoes (laughs) so when I started Queens Don't Quit then um he very much was like it was kind of like, he was like, oh, you should turn this into a business. And like, what can you do? Like, I was obviously just doing these workouts through like during lockdown. And then I said, oh, well, I was thinking about like building a website and like, maybe I should do that. Oh, that's a great idea. And then I remember I was like, what if no one joins? And literally like when I pressed live to go live to like get subscribers, I was on the phone with him and I was like, oh my God, like 10 people have subscribed. 50 people have subscribed, like a hundred people. And then like, and then someone subscribed for a year. And I was like, daddy, I'm going to have to do this for a whole year for this one person. Then obviously more and more people joined. And, and then we like launched other products, you know, we started like with the bands and it was like the same thing. And he was like, you know, oh, you should like, we kind of like would talk about it all the time and like where I was going and what I was doing and then like, you know, how you should invest and things like that. So then we, especially over like the, from like 2019 through to when dad died, like we would talk all the time, but more on a business level. And he actually told my mom that I was the only child with a business brain and he was really proud of me. So he was like, because my, my brother is a barrister. <sighs> yeah. 
So he's the star child because he's a barrister. <laughs> and if you are a barrister, you are amazing. So she's always like, Maeve does that stuff online, but my son Turlock, the baby, he is a barrister. So he's killed me for saying that. But yes. So, but mom was, dad was like, no, Maeve's, Maeve's the one. Maeve's the one that he, that he, for because of what he does uh, or what he did, that he he was really proud of that, that he had a child that was able to create a successful business. And, you know, I suppose be an entrepreneur, although a lot of people don't think I am. They're like, she just does a workout. So I'm like, I do have quite a big business, but it's okay. Um, it sounds like it's, you were his favorite. So <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I can really hear the beautiful bond that you had with him. What was it like for you then when he became unwell? Um, so I don't really remember exactly when he became, because in my mind, it was like dad's family. So like his mother and his uncles and his aunts all lived to like their 90s. So we were like, dad's going to be around longer than us. Dad's going to live forever. Like dad was always like the superhero who was never sick. And so when he got sick, I feel like we were like, no, <laughs> why would dad be sick? Like, of course, daddy's not sick. And um, it was like, it was, I feel like mom was like, it's fine. And she's very like that. No, it's fine. And they weren't very, dad never wanted mom to go in with him. So she would always just have to wait. And of course, like I said, dad was a person of few words. So you'd be like, what did they say? And he'd be like, no, no, I'm grand, I'm grand. I just have to do. So he had to go in for another procedure, like another operation. And so I actually never really knew what was going on because he didn't want to tell anybody. What do you think that was? Why do you think he... I feel like he just protected everybody. Like dad was the backbone of the house and he didn't want to worry mom. Mm -hmm. Like mom never has had to ever worry really about anything. Like she just, oh my God, I hope she doesn't listen. I'm like, she just raised the children, which wasn't, you know, she didn't just, that's, that is a full-time job raising five children. She was also a teacher. Just going to put that in there. Um, until she had all the children. Anyway, so I feel like maybe that's why. And he didn't want anyone to be worrying. Dad would hate anybody fussing around him. So it wasn't really until 2022. Um, no, so he was sick and I had my Christmas wedding. So we had my Christmas wedding um, where we had a legal wedding. And that was because Andrew's uncle was actually... So Andrew doesn't have parents. And his uncle was extremely ill who had kind of looked after Andrew and his grandmother was like 96 and we wanted to do something with them but we knew dad had had you know been going through a tough time although he looked so fit and well like even in all of our photos so we had the small family ceremony together which was amazing and then January came February came and then mom was like your dad's not well again and this was kind of like the third time. And it was like, she thinks they thought that it had spread to his liver, I believe. So this and was February and you so were getting married. So I'm getting married in June. In June. In June. Yeah. yeah. So that must have been such a worrying time for you. It was honestly unbelievably stressful. But of course, they were, mom was like, no, it's fine. And dad was like, no, he's great. He's going to go for. So he'd never had chemo where he'd like lost his hair or anything. So he was going to start an aggressive form of chemo. And we were like, oh, right. OK, great. And there was never any like you have two years to live, you have a year to live, you have six months. There was, and that's always the things that people said to you, where they're like, "Just so you know, you're gonna have eighteen months or three." You know the way they said those things. So we were never told any of that, and I think that's maybe why I was so angry. So then it came to like wedding time, and Dad was like. It was like the week before the wedding and he was like, 
you know, he had like lost some of his hair and stuff, but he did, he looked like older. And of course he had just started the chemo. So this was like his third round. And they were like, you know, we were told he's going to have to do like six sets, like six or seven rounds. And of course this will happen and he will get sick because he's good doing an aggressive form of chemo. So we were like, right. Okay. And he said to me, he was like, I don't want to come to the wedding. And this was like the day before. (laughs) Sorry. So, sorry. So it was the lead up to the wedding and he said he wasn't feeling well. And he said to mom, I'm going to go into the hospital. And in my head, he went to the hospital because he didn't want to, he didn't want to go to the wedding. He said he didn't want to be there and people fussing over him because he didn't want to take away from the day. So that was fine. And then he went into hospital and they were like, they were so good. This was at Daisy Hill in Uri, if anyone's listening, because they were so kind. And um, So how many days before the wedding did he go This in? was the day before we were going to the wedding. So I think the wedding was on Friday. So this must have been Wednesday. He went into the hospital and I went up to see him and he started like... We were chatting, we were chatting about work and stuff as, you know, and he was there and on, he was doing calls while I was there as well. And I was like, just sitting there, you know, listening. He was like sorting this out and said it was like the afternoon. So he was like still running business as usual for dad. And he started talking to me about some investmenty things that we had done and in my mind, I was like, wonder why he said that, that's so weird. But anyway, it didn't really cross my mind. And we decided that we were going to live stream the wedding to him. And he was like, he definitely wasn't for going. So my aunt was staying at home with him. She wasn't going either. So she was going to go up. They were going to watch it and live stream all the rest. And it had to go on. He was like, you cannot cancel this. And of course, we didn't want to go on. I was like, I don't want to do this. And even when I look at the photos which I've never really looked at that photo album. I can see that I'm so sad, you know? So anyway, the wedding goes on and we're all, and it it was so sad because all of his, the people who worked for daddy were all at the wedding. And so it was a really emotional time. What was it like walking up the aisle? That was actually hilarious because and I felt like his presence because he he was such a man of few words, but a great joker, <laughs> always playing jokes. And I remember like it being really emotional in the morning. I woke up and it had been beautiful. And then it was lashing rain. And I was like, why the, sorry, not why the F is it lashing rain? Like didn't give her rain all of a sudden. And we had a hundred of those statues under the, whatever they're called, child of Prague, <laughs> under the hedges. And I was like, oh my God, 24th of June, it is lashing rain. So anyway, I'm like, great, get to the church. My uncle, who doesn't have any daughters, the only one who doesn't have daughters and has never walked someone down the aisle. And it's been a big part of our lives. So I had asked him because I was like, you know, at least you'll get to do it once. So he was like, great. And we even practiced doing the veil and stuff. And it was all a disaster. Honestly, the whole wedding church thing was a disaster, but so distracting from what was going on. So I'm walking down the aisle and the park singers were this choir that we we had. And we opened the door and all of a sudden it's like thunder and lightning. And then the speakers start to crackle. And the my dress was too wide for the aisle. There was all flowers and candles. And all I could hear was clink, clink, clink. <laughs> as I'm walking up the aisle, then someone thought my veal went on fire. It was just, we get to the top of the aisle and everyone's like in fits of laughter. We are live streaming as well to dad. And it just, it was just, a, it was just a disaster, but hilarious. So then I had a veal because it was like so overdramatic over my face. My uncle goes to take the veal off and it gets caught in the flower on his jacket. 
And so then I'm stuck. And he's like <laughs> trying to take it. My sister yanks it. I feel like the veil ripped. And anyway, so that was me walking down the aisle. But at the same time, it was really good because everyone was very distracted. Mm-hmm. So we had a wonderful time and we did like a toast to daddy and stuff. And it was very emotional. And we had the two days and then mom and that went home and we had an extra day and we were coming home and my sister called me and I'd spoken to them like the day they had left and mom was like, you come home tomorrow. So I was like, right, okay. And when I got home, I called and I was like, hi, dad, dad's great, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, okay, perfect. And then I called the next morning. I was like, I'm about to have breakfast. How's daddy? Oh, daddy's great. Daddy's great. Uh, and then my sister messaged me and she said, dad's not good. Shit, mom. He didn't want to tell you. And I was like, what do you mean? She was like, you need to get in the car and come home now. And and I was so mad because I was like, why did I stay? But I... It was just like, and I think I was just, I think I was just very angry at myself, you know? How could you have known, though? I know. I know. So we got home, and I didn't recognize him. And it was like he was waiting for the wedding. And he knew that when the wedding was over, that that was it. But we didn't know. And um, so we're all sitting and I'm like chatting away and I'm showing him all the photos. And I knew I was like, God, he really doesn't look well. And mom said, I'm going to call the priest. (laughs) We were like, okay, why do you want the priest to come? And she was like, I think we should give your dad his last rites. And we were like, well, why would you do that? And she was like, I think this is it. And I was like, oh my God. And my sister had gone to bed with the baby. So I said to Andrew, I was like, the baby loves Andrew. I was like, you go up, you look after the baby and I'll get Aoife. So Aoife came down. She was like, what's going on? What's going on? And I was like, the priest is here coming. She was like, why? I was like, because mommy wants to give daddy his last rites. She was like, what for? And I was like, she doesn't think he's going to make it through the night. She's like, what? And I was like, and it was all like so surreal and so fast. I was like, this is insane. Like, why wouldn't he make it through? And she's got chemo next week. Like, that's booked in. Or was it? I don't know. Like, did we just, did he just say that it was? Like, I'm like, I don't know. So anyway, we called my aunt, who's also a nurse. We have a lot of medics in our house. <laughs> so she came up and then a cousin who's also a nurse also came up. So we had a whole team. And and then, so they came up, they moved dad into a room. And honestly, it was like a blessing because he had said, maybe I should go into the hospice. And mom was like, let's see if we can get you a room and called. And they said, no. Like, we can, t- we can take you tomorrow, but it's too late. But had he gone to the hospice, only mom would have been with him. So that was a blessing in disguise. So anyway, he moved into, like, one of the downstairs bedrooms. And I remember the priest came. And I remember we were, like, praying and being, like, my brothers were there. And they were one of my brothers, he was in Belfast, so he came straight home. And that's the thing. I was like, Tullock was like, he was way back to Belfast because he was going to work. Like nobody had any idea. And uh, and it just happened so quickly. I remember we were all just in the room and I have PTSD because he had this fan that kept him cool. And every time I hear a fan, it drives me crazy. So anyway, so he's like lying in bed and we're all just together. And then the, isn't Mary Curie nurses? arrived and then we were like oh my god like this is happening now and it was just it was just so surreal but like it's also so awkward because I'm so sorry I can never I always have to throw a joke in what does that mean like when someone's (laughs) like no matter what it is I'm always like throwing a joke 
Um, because you're kind of sitting there and you're just like, you don't really know what to say, you know, yeah. and you're kind of like talking and stuff and you're just kind of, you know, and, and you know that, well, they always say that your hearing's the last thing to go. So you should always keep talking. Yeah. And we did. Like, we don't shut up. So we were a chat away. So there was a lot of talking going on. And then dad's family were there. And um, I think it must have been like two or three in the morning. And the nurse was like, they know. Like, they, like, sit and, like, I think they, like, count breaths or stuff. So she was like, you have 10 minutes. I was like, what? Like, a, a freaking count time? Like, this is it? Like, this can't be it. And I remember my mom was, like, literally just in shock. Like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? I remember that was exactly what she was like. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I was like, I don't know. What do we do? Like, last week we were planning a wedding. This weekend we're planning a funeral. Like, it was just, it was honestly, and to, and it was also really, they don't, like, people don't die like they die in the movies. It was a very different, I'd never seen someone die before. And I'm really glad that I was there for that moment. Like, I think that moment is really special to be like, I don't know, I feel like you see every, someone's pain, like everything just go away. But it is like, uh, I was like, was that supposed to happen? Like, is that, and the nurse was like, that was very peaceful. I was like, God, it scared the life out of me. Like, it's very, it's not, it's not what happens in films. They don't just close their eyes and drift off. There's definitely like a, a moment where I really think that like a soul leaves the body. Like there's like a, like an inhale and like a, I don't know, like a, I don't know. There's just something very surreal. And I feel like that's like, oh, there's definitely something else out there for us. Because at that moment, I was like, I believe, you know, I have absolute faith. Like there was definitely like a letting go and then like a peace. And then it was just quiet. And that was it. Crazy, you know, just gone. But I don't feel like he's gone. Like, I have such a strong, I do feel like a real strong presence of my dad. Um, Like everywhere I go, I thought maybe it would just be at home. But I feel like even when I'm like in Dubai and stuff like that, hopefully not for much longer, (laughs) but there's always like, I always feel like a presence, but I don't like going to his grave. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I don't know. I don't feel anything when I'm there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like a stone and so impersonal. Like, and then like my whole mindset changed then on like cremation. I was like, maybe it is nice to be cremated, to have the person, you know, in a, in a lovely urn, you know, in your house that you would just chat away to. Cause I do chat away to my dad's photos and I have like, you know, the little mask card and I like chat away to dad's mask card, like ridiculous, like having full skill conversations. And, um, I feel like the grave is just so morbid and just sad. And dad wasn't a sad person, you know? So I just won't go. Does he send you little signs? Is there anything that you... I feel, but I'm such a believer. Like, I love signs and, like, I feel like I sense a lot of him and, like, I I, I feel like... Actually, mom's like, doesn't believe in any, she obviously believes in heaven and stuff. She doesn't believe in signs. Like a robin came, well, first off, a massive butterfly came into the house the day the dad died and was like up high, no one could get it, like on the wall. 
and then left the day dad left and I was like that's a sign mom was like that's not a sign but <laughs> on the day the morning after daddy died she was like she asked she said she asked for a sign and she was in the garden <laughs> a true dad jokey this she said she was in the garden and she was like, what am I going to do? And she's walking up and down. We have like this long driveway. She's walking up and down the driveway. And she said two massive bubbles. This is like six o'clock in the morning. Just went floating past her and went down and out the driveway. She's like, they never burst. They literally floated past her. And my brother came out and was like, did you blow bubbles? <laughs> she was like, no. She said they were like, like two big balls. She said they weren't like little tiny that like the child would blow two massive bubbles and she was like that's the only sign that she that she believes in she's like you know she's like there's bird seed of course robins are going to be there you know but I'm like oh no they're lovely they come up to the window like for me that's like a sign and stuff but for her that was that was a true a true sign for her oh my god yeah but yeah I do I do really feel his presence and I think you have to be welcoming to it you know like I'm always kind of open and and wanting to feel like I can not like communicate with him but like I'll ask him questions and stuff and hope that I can feel like a sign for something but um yeah so that was 16 months ago what has life been like since well, after dad died, I obviously cried my heart out for like a couple of days. And then I woke up one morning, like literally four days after, and I couldn't walk. Like I could not get out of bed. My back was broken. Like pain I have never felt before in my life. Like I was like, I have slipped a disc where I was like, couldn't I, I physically couldn't walk it was like on my hands and knees like I cannot there's something wrong with me or where I, I actually and it lasted like a couple like two months and I went for an MRI um and everything so I was like this pain I couldn't work like it was so severe and when I went back to Dubai the physio who knows nothing of me knows nothing of I was not in social and he was like, I don't know. I was like, Sam, I, have, I think I've slipped a disc. Like something's wrong. And the MRI came back clear. And I was like, no, my back's broken. I cannot move. Like there's something wrong with me. So he like moved things around. And then he touches your head and does something with like nerves. God knows what it is. I mean, if you're a specialist, you probably know. And uh, he was like, what happened? And I said, oh, my dad died. And he was like, the backbone. And he was like, the backbone of your family has been broken. And that's how your grief is coming out. And so now luckily, (laughs) thanks dad, (laughs) every so often I get this, enormous overwhelming crushing back pain where it's like I have to go to the physio and he's like there's nothing wrong with you like it's literally just grief like that's what or like my shoulders will get really sore he is like you have so much grief and so much tension that your muscles are just they're just like seizing and so I just have to try and like he's like you need to let it go and I was like, I'm not, even though I'm in floods of tears here today, but this is probably the first time I've cried in ages. And I just don't know. I just don't feel like, like it comes out in tears. Like it's usually, I feel like I just get very tense and very angry and, you know, and maybe I still feel it's like surreal because the the last year has been surreal. You said the word angry a couple uh-huh. of times. Has that been a big part of your grief experience, the anger? I think so. I do feel really angry. I feel like 
and I wonder, like, did I just choose to ignore what I was saying because I didn't want to believe that dad was sick? But then I know that I, I, I know that I didn't because we didn't know, you know? And I feel like daddy knew and he just didn't want to talk to me. He's protecting you, possibly protecting himself too. Exactly. Like he would hate for it. He would have hated for us to be like creating a fuss over him. You know, he he never wanted that. And like in anything, like even when it was his birthday or anything, he'd be like, no, no, don't be, I don't want, I don't want things. Like, you know, that's, he just, all he ever wanted was his family to be around him. And that's what, and that was actually like one thing that I really took away and I'd say like not that I've learned from the experience but maybe I've realized from the experience is that in the end all you have is your family no matter like all the hours that daddy worked And all, like, even on the day he died, he's, like, on the phone working. Like, all of the things that you have and the money that you make and everything. Like, at the end of it, all you're left with is, like, we're just, you know, daddy was there with his five kids and his wife and, you know, his siblings. Mm -hmm. And then the legacy, you know, of what a, you know, charitable humble lovely man that he was like everything else is just everything else and what a lucky man he was to have you all around him exactly that was like the biggest blessing I'm so glad the hospice didn't have beds it's like (laughs) thank god for the conservatives (laughs) no beds um but a true blessing that because I was like mom did say she said she didn't she probably wouldn't have chosen anybody to go in with her. If he had have gone to the hospice, she would have been allowed to bring one person. But how could she deny all of... I could, how could she deny her other children from... Of course, I would have been like, me. I'm, <laughs> I'm the favourite. <laughs> no, she would have picked the barrister. <laughs> For sure. Um, but yeah, no, I don't know who she would have chosen to go in with her. But we don't have to think about that because it didn't happen. But yeah, so we were we were truly lucky that he was with us and that we were all there, you know, and I feel like that's probably why I don't enjoy living abroad. And like, I feel like your life does change when something like this happens, you know, and you kind of start to rethink things and the way you live your life and what what you should be doing. I just feel like... I'm so lucky because, like, I had such a wonderful dad. And I know that, like, that's denied to so many. So, you know, and it's just like, what's that saying? That something to do with death and love is like, love is the, you know, the grief is the price you have to pay for, for great love. I don't know about you, but when my grief hits me, all I want to do is to feel better, to feel comforted, to feel, well, less. Something that has supported me on my own grief journey and that research has found time and again is the power of meditation. I invite you to join me now for a beautiful meditation to comfort and soothe you. I hope it benefits you as much as it does me. Begin by finding a comfortable position. Allow your body to relax and to melt into this moment as you feel the soft surface beneath you holding and supporting you. Tune into your breath and the rise and fall of your chest. Your breath And this rhythm is here as an anchor to connect you to the present moment anytime you may need it. 
as you feel your body starting to relax, you see these beautiful stairs in front of you. You see in your mind's eye these beautiful stairs in front of you. Maybe these stairs are familiar to you, or perhaps you have never seen them before. Either way, they are waiting for you, shimmering, calling you forward, calling you to descend. And so, you walk towards them, and you start stepping on the first stair. You take a second, feeling the touch of the step beneath your feet and moving down the remaining steps one by one. Noticing with each step how you feel as you descend one step after another. When you reach the bottom of this beautiful staircase, you notice in front of you the most magical door. The light is streaming in front of you through the cracks of this door and you know that the space behind is just for you. You feel it deep inside that the space behind this door is filled with unconditional love, with inspiration, with guidance, just for you. And so you turn the handle and you enter, slowly walking into this beautiful, brightly lit space Stepping in, breathing it all in. Before you lies the most beautiful and serene beach you have ever seen. It is so beautiful that it takes your breath away. Let yourself feel and see and sense this beautiful beach. The gentle breeze on your skin, the powder soft sand beneath your feet, the sound of the waves as they lap onto the shore. The heat of the sun on your skin. The light is so bright and holds so much love. The temperature is just perfect. And it feels as though every pore of your being is having this beautiful light being poured into it. You're being nourished. You're being revitalized. As you stand here soaking this all in. Continue your deep inhalations and exhalations and let yourself be nourished by this light. And as you keep illuminating more, continue with your deep inhalations and exhalations and let yourself be nourished by this light.
you find yourself now walking towards the seashore. And you watch as the water sparkles and shimmers in the sun. It is so peaceful here, and as you stand on the water's edge, you sigh out a breath of relaxation. You feel so at home, so content, so at peace. As you soak in the beauty that surrounds you, you lower yourself onto the sand and rest a while. You close your eyes and you turn your face to the sky and you continue to breathe in and out, breathing in peace and calm, slowly and deeply. As you rest, your body feels so relaxed, so at peace, so free. As you sit here in this moment, soaking in this beautiful space, you notice somebody slowly walking towards you. The closer they get, you smile because you know exactly who it is. As this person nears you, you feel a sense of love and familiarity because you know wholeheartedly that this person loves you unconditionally. And as they reach you, you choose to greet them in whatever way feels comfortable to you. Hello, I am so glad that you are here. You feel so safe and so at peace beside them, taking in the beauty of your surroundings. You talk for a while, pouring out everything you want to say, everything you've been carrying for such a long time now. Before you part ways, they respond gently, but powerfully, telling you everything you need to hear. Soak it up. Listen to their wisdom. You met here for a reason. When the time feels right, you both stand and hug each other goodbye. Parting feels bittersweet, but you know that you can return to this beautiful beach and to them again. So you turn, you begin your journey home, feeling the warm sun on your back and a new lightness in your shoulders. As you walk, you feel so relaxed, so at peace, and so calm.
As you walk step by step by step, your body slowly begins to reawaken. Know that you can return to this beautiful staircase and to your beautiful beach anytime you need to. Know you can return to your loved one to share with them anything you need to, everything you need to, and for them to respond as powerfully as they have just done. As you reawaken, keep with you this feeling of calm, peace, and relaxation. Wriggle your fingers and your toes to wake up your muscles. Shrug your shoulders, stretch if you want to. And when you are ready, open your eyes and return to the room feeling relaxed and so at peace. Thank you so much for listening to Unspoken with me, Dr. Clodagh Campbell, the wellness psychologist. Be sure to like, subscribe and follow me at the wellness psychologist on Instagram if you'd like to hear more. If you identified with this topic, make sure to check out the show notes where I have listed related resources for you. I hope you find them beneficial. Today's podcast is very proudly sponsored by my absolute favourite Irish skincare brand, Ella and Joe Cosmetics. With formulas that are powered by plants and backed by science, Ella and Joe are dedicated to creating high quality, luxurious skincare products that actually deliver results and that create magic moments in your day. Whether your skin is dry, dull, or just in need of a pick-me-up, the Ella and Joe range will put the joy back into your skincare routine. Find your skin confidence again by shopping Ella and Joe's beautiful products on ellaandjoe.ie using discount code UNSPOKEN for 15% off. Thank you.